We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Mike, no Darius today. And this time of year can be a little tricky for the pod, right? Everybody wants to talk free agency, and with uh, Mike and I uh, working working for the Lakers, it can be, you know, interesting territory. And you'll hear us talk about skill guards. And yesterday, you guys did a great pod on uh, the big man position, thinking big, right? Where we think we speak more in generalities about types of players. And But we're about to enter that portion of the offseason over this next week, where it's not theoretical players, it's actual players. Um, we had a KCP traded to Denver this morning, right? There are going to be more transactions like that where before they're officially announced, we can't discuss that. So between that and we've been going you know, pretty hard four or five days a week for most of this season, this is going to be the last pod that we do until the moratorium lifts. So we're going to take the next week off. So these are going to be kind of our final thoughts heading into free agency and just discussing like what we're hoping for, where we go from here, what we think or hope will happen in the next week, but again, in kind of that general sense. So Mike, here we are, right? We have made it through the 2022 season, the dreaded 2022 season. And the next time we are on this pod, we will have a different team, at least to some extent. What's on your mind here at this point? I think it's going to be a difficult process uh, for the Lakers to find all of the types of players that would ideally fit the roster. Uh, And so that doesn't mean that they can't do it. And I think that they'll definitely thread the needle and acquire some players that fit really well. The question is, can they get six or seven guys right that really ideally fit within a roster that's anchored around LeBron or anchored by LeBron and Anthony Davis? And the guys that are still on the roster, other than those two, are mostly smaller guards. And, and so the question is, how many of these bigger, whether it's two-way wings or versatile bigs, uh, as you mentioned, Darius and I went through sort of what some of the ideal bigs might be, Um, But what we've been talking a lot more about, Pete, for these last couple of months is what the Lakers lacked on last year's roster and what type of players those were relative to when they had more success around the build. 
of LeBron and AD the previous two seasons. And I know that you and I both have a list. Of course, the Lakers and every team has a master list. And this to me is kind of like when you're when you're doing your fantasy draft and you've got your cue set and all of a sudden the names just start going off the board. Even before you get a chance to get players, right? Because of trades, mm-hmm. you know, KCP, for example. Oh, maybe that was a player. Would have loved to have seen if you could trade, you know, for a player like that to get back or even stuff that isn't necessarily realistic. And mm-hmm. it's just about when that, when you start to see the tweets come in about reported trades, which will come in before the team announced them, because that's the way that the league is these days, which of those players are going to be in purple and gold? And, you know, I know that we have some ideas as to which ones they are. Hopefully we can make up for that uh, when by, you know, with in-depth analysis once once that moratorium clears, because uh, we are, needless to say, very interested in each and every one of those roster moves. One of the players that I expect to be in purple and gold is Russell Westbrook at the end of that. Uh, that is something that. I have been a little surprised by the reporting and just like, basically let me put it like this, Mike. If the Lakers are about to trade Russell Westbrook, they seem to have a lot of people fooled, right? Like there is nothing in terms of a great deal of buzz of like, oh, these two teams are negotiating or it's on the precipice of this or that. Like now that like a lot of indications are that they expect him to be on the roster. Now there's also reporting that they'll continue to explore trades, right? But uh, to me, that's the I'm a little surprised by that because one of the things that has accompanied that reporting is the notion that we are not particularly interested in giving up the 2027 or 29 first or not particularly interested in taking on longer term contracts. And so what that indicates, Mike, is that there is something on the table. If you wanted to do one of those things, you could get that done. Like if there, if the Lakers were in a position where we were like, we got to we got to move on from Russ at any costs that. The implication there is that they could if they wanted to. And so that it I mean, it's also beneficial to negotiation, right? To if you are in trade discussions, to have that sort of perspective of like we're fine keeping this guy. But the we've talked so much about the calibration toward Russ and what that means and all of that, right? And so what I would like if he is on the roster uh, at, at when we come back in a week, that calibration to be toward those guys who can space the floor who can run the floor uh on the pod yesterday right you you had some ideas about like why, why not let you know guys like dwight shoot the ball let let uh, javel types type type shoot the ball right um and i think that's an interesting discussion to be had but that to me the first part of calibrating toward Russ, we spent so much time last year uh, having that conversation about coaching, but really the first place is roster. We had a bunch of guys that couldn't run, couldn't move, couldn't really space the floor particularly well, had several non-shooters. And so, so long as we account for that, I think we can build a good team. I don't think that we can build a championship caliber team, but we got a lot of real estate that we can, we've got to make up between now and then. So to me, Mike, that's kind of like the first domino and all indications are that Russ is staying. Yeah, and you and I have gone back and forth on this, and we don't have Darius here to try and come in and fly in as Switzerland uh, uh-huh. as he is on vacation. I guess I could just summarize my my perspective being that the roster to start the regular season here is not the, the exactly the roster that I'm considering when I'm formulating the the style and the person, the ideal, I guess, personnel 
because I think that's going to change come either the trade deadline or it, it very like very much so at the at the end of the season. And so Russ, of course, mm-hmm. is at the center of that. But if I don't know Russ is in the last year of his deal, I don't know what his plans are for the future. I don't know what the Lakers plans are for the future with him. I do think that they're they both have probably talked about, you know, what are what are the best ways to fit him into this team? And from talking to Darvin Ham and I this, my article on Darvin should be out, Pete, today or by the time at least a little bit later. And the thing that we talked about with Russ was much less about sort of the system and finding the right type of guys and pace and all that. And much more about that. I really, in Darwin's words, I really need you to be focused on, on the defensive side of the court and kind of like what he said at the press conference, but he just goes further in that article Mm -hmm. and included in that is not like an offensive style or getting the right players to run with Russ or anything. You know, they, he already has the offensive shell, that he wants to play, which is that four out one in, which is different, of course, from like how the Clippers play, for example, with five out, except when Zoo is in. And he likes to have that a, a rim threat, but he wants to base it more around LeBron and AD. Uh, and now I think that you consider Russ certainly too, because he, as he puts it, you you basically you look at your best players and then you build your offense out of that. And but I think there's a separation between LeBron and AD and kind of what their skill sets are and Russ. And how you're going to build an offense around that. So I think that we can serve both. I don't think that there's such a like either or type of distinction. Like, you know, the we'll get more into like the four out and kind of what it means uh, to uh, because I think it's more about maintaining spacing principles than like it's not like bunch of other teams don't play four out spacing right but i think that the, a preservation of spacing principles similar to how milwaukee does when you have really uh downhill threats that's one of the things that i'm hoping is that the experience from having a guy like Giannis, like defenses react to a player like Giannis, uh, in that they ha- they really have to go out of their way to take away the drive to the rim and that opens up opportunities if you maintain your spacing principles correctly right but in order to do that you also have the right have to have the right personnel on the floor so for me for example a way to do both is those two-way wings that we always talk about right like there's having guys who can contribute on both ends of the floor and with the assets that we have we're not going to get an elite two-way wing by any means but a guy who can play defense, knock down a spot up three, has utility if Russ wasn't on the team. We saw LeBron and AD win the championship with those guys, right? And so, yeah, yeah, but I think where the sensitivity really comes into play is if like Russ is on the floor with the two bigs or Russ is on the floor with THT, another non-shooter, right? And it's like, it's a subtle enough difference to where I think we can work around it and build a, a, a good team where if there are trade opportunities that come up at the trade deadline or you want to alter your team, you haven't built before then. And I think this is kind of speaks to a, a point that at least I think you're implying is that like, you don't want to build the team around around Russell Westbrook now and he might not be on the team at the deadline probably won't be on the team after this season so like what's the point but I think there's a way to build a team that can work with Russell Westbrook for now and get to the point of good and then if you do make a trade at the deadline you are still can still play the same style of play you still have guys who can run but there are just certain types of guys that like it's a little more dangerous to put them on the court with Russ. So let's take a quick break, come back, continue our thoughts on upcoming free agency. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. 
Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. So in going through the free agency list, for one, there's not a lot of guys in our price range that I'm particularly inspired by. And that's kind of why the place where I've landed is I'd like to get two guys. I'd like to get two guys with that break up the taxpayer MLE into two players, ideally. Now, there's one or two where it's like, yeah, I'd throw the full thing at at that player because I think they really fit. But by and large, I... I'm more uh, inclined to be like, let's get two wings. I'd like a two-three type, and then a three-four type. That's you know, you split uh, the the MLE between those two, and then a stretch five on an, uh, a vet min. What's kind of your wish list uh, at this point, Mike? Yeah, I think it's it's the wish list is kind of if a balloon's going up, you know, you got you got to make sure you got the anchor on it because it's not. It, it's not going to be able to realize exactly what your dreams are. So I think there's some, <laughs> there's some realism attached to what the wish list is. And, sure. and anybody can do that just by simply looking at what's available and what the money is. And this is, again, the problem that we've kind of talked about all season is that once you have a certain number committed salary-wise and every team in the league is looking for those types of players that can, be, that can stay on the floor – on both ends and a lot of other teams are going to have more resources and some teams are going to be a little bit ahead of the pecking order of just based on how they finished last year. Whereas in the past, I think the Lakers have been closer to the top, not that they're far down, right? Like they still, they still are a attraction. Absolutely. And especially because these places could render a lot of playing time 
Yeah. How much do you think that's a factor? I was just going to ask you that, Mike. That's probably our best selling point is that if you can play defense and knock down an open three, we probably have some run for you where there are other guys you're competing with on, on other teams for those spots. So, I, Pete, I think it's a factor. The only thing mitigating that factor is that when you're going, when you're a player and you're trying to think of, all right, I can, I can get to a specific spot uh, and I'm and like once I get there, I'm going to show them. So there's, I think there's a lot of confidence going in for players to win spots, even in places where maybe they won't. And therefore, mm-hmm. why don't I just take the money? That's it, it, which is something totally expected and yeah. understandable, right? So, but the question is, it, what is the difference between that money and, and how can you sell? Hey, but if if you're getting thirty to thirty five minutes here, you know, on your deal, then you can make more money in your next deal. And I think I think that's a much harder sell the younger that you are when you haven't made that money yet. So I'm just not counting on it, but I do acknowledge it as a selling point for sure. I sure hope along those lines, Malik Monk gets paid by someone uh, and that we can make that argument a little more uh, compelling uh, along, along those lines. Right. Um, and so I, I think though that, I don't know, between the playing time, between the stage of LA, that's the thing about us is that like, you can't quietly succeed in LA. Like if you ball out, we will certainly let the whole world know about it. Even if on a bad team, you know, a guy like Monk played well and, and, you know, he got some shine. And so I'm hoping that that plays into it. And there are that kind of, let's take that in the direction of like young guys versus veteran players. These are the kinds of guys that are normally available for these between vet men and taxpayer MLE slots. You've got your young guys, a lot of like second round pick types that have kind of earned a spot in the NBA, but haven't really gotten a big role yet. And then you've got your responsible adults that are your, your vets that are solid, but like they do what they do. They know exactly what the role is and their job is, but maybe they're not the athletes that they were when they were younger or the same athletes that those younger guys who are the second round picks who've kind of grinded to the point where they have a, a free agent market for them. So what's your, like, we've talked a lot about the skills that we need and whatnot. We have a lot of young guys. There is some argument to be made that we need some vets on the team. They definitely need both of those things. And is there some player that checks both of those boxes that's the larger two-way wing that also has some veteran experience and is going to be comfortable out there in moments when, you know, late in the shot clock or late in a game, he gets the ball from LeBron and is happy to just get that ball up and not feel the pressure of the moment and all that. So that is, that is an issue. And I think that, I think that where they'll, I don't want, I, I want to make sure that this has the requisite level of, of realism versus optimism versus skepticism. But I just, I'm almost trying to see this more as a two year type of roster build, which seems impossible with LeBron in his 20th season. But I just, Pete, I don't know if enough can be done in this off season to turn the Lakers into a real contender, barring a bigger trade. But, but that's not to say that if they just get a couple of guys that fit that, that you can trust offensively, and they can hit a couple of shots and are basically our role players willing to do the dirty work that we, that was not apparent on the roster as much last season, then I don't know. Then I think they could be better than even I'm giving it credit for um, based, based on not just, well, based in one part on Anthony Davis, right. Having consistent health and this new energy brought by Darwin and maybe some buy-in um, that's, that's, a, that's gone there. So like, I think that could help a, a good start. I'm just trying to compare that depth of talent on the roster to 
to say what, you know, what Boston or Golden State just threw out in the finals or a healthy Milwaukee, where you're looking at at a minimum eight guys, you know, that you really trust to be on the floor when it counts. And it's hard for me right now to get to eight, you know? Mm-hmm. And so what can you what can you get to there? Can you can you get to six? Can you get to seven? so that's that's kind of what I'm thinking. No, I think you're spot on with that. And I think if we can even get to five or six that are of of guys where we're like, yeah, that's a playoff rotation player. There's a certain degree of like, let's put ourselves in the position to succeed. Let's put ourselves in the position to make that next step. Like the the place you're talking about of having those seven, eight guys like we did in the title season or those uh, playoff teams that you brought up from from this year where we're far enough away from that. We're like, let's take those intermediate steps first. And I think that especially yeah, totally. with the Russ situation. Yeah, that's, that's yeah totally you know what, what I mean? Like, yeah. And I feel like last year we did just about everything wrong and that we don't have to do just about everything wrong this upcoming season. And, and I think we're off to actually a very good start. Uh, and But this is the most important part. But if we, if we just – if we sign guys who are a little bit taller, like we can't have eight guards on the roster this year. You brought up earlier that we've got a lot of the guys that are already under contract are on the shorter side, right? So those like, to, to me, it's like six, five and up from, from here on out, right? Like uh, the guys that we acquire, it's, it's really important. I think that are around that size or, or taller and preferably closer to six, nine than six, five. And uh, those are the types of guys, Mike, that I think that if we rectify those kinds of mistakes that we made last year, we can put competent lineups out on the floor next year. That said though, it's, it's a bit deflating from a Laker fan perspective of like, you got this LeBron and AD roster, like eh, no real path to, to contention right now. It's hard to see, you know, so that, that is something that, I don't know if I, from from where I'm sitting, there's that like I'm always in a, in the moment and like let's be better than we were tomorrow than we were today and better today than we were yesterday. But that is a bit deflating, right? That idea you've got LeBron and AD, you should be able to to field a, a contender. Well, a lot of that comes right back to simply to Russ and to the number that he's making next year and what can he give you, you know provided that he's on the roster. And as Polinka told it, right, the, the first thing that was going to go off in that list was him picking up his option, uh, which was reported on Tuesday, I believe. And I don't know if that's been confirmed by the team just yet, but so that was the first thing. And now, okay, so now that he's on the roster, right, what what is he going to provide? And is that going to be any different from last season? And is that going to be something that is steered towards some other kind of move down the line or is it something that they really think that maybe they can maximize it differently this year that's a that's where that discussion starts and since what we saw last year despite the fact they only played what 21 games together or something as that's a big part of it that's a big part Mm -hmm. of it but what we saw last year is hard to just throw into contender status in, in terms of what that fit was and they deserve no benefit of the doubt, Mike. Uh, right. like they're they're going to so, have to show it on the floor. So that's where it's coming from, right? And you can't, with that, with what that number is, we could talk about all of these, nailing all of these minimums and the the splitting up the mid-level exception. That's just not a lot from a tool standpoint, you know? And that's, that's where it comes down to. But I know we have to take another break. I am curious, one name that we haven't discussed much so far this offseason is Kendrick Nunn. And I'm just curious what you think he can bring He's not big, right? But he does have some skills. And I'm curious the overlap there with THT, another Chicago guard, and to an extent Russ. So I'm wondering how much can be can be gotten from there 
where none was a part of a, a serious playoff rotation in Miami. They got all the way to the finals. And what did they do to protect what his weaknesses are? So I'm, I'm a little curious your take on none and how much of if you're almost looking at him like an, an acquisition since he didn't play last year. Very much so. Let's take a, a break. And when we come back, let's get into none. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So I view none similarly to Monk in that I, his greatest strength is that he's a three-level scorer who really runs the floor well in transition. So that idea that if we have Russ on the team, that we have to play into Russ's strengths, which is more open court play, athleticism, the ability to run is important, right? It's one of the reasons why the old guys who can't run last year were like the exact opposite of the type of player that I think is really thrives next next to Russ. There's a certain athleticism necessary that that none has. But on top of that, he brings some of those skills, right? The one of the biggest weaknesses of Russ is that he's one of the worst shooting guards in the NBA, meaning one of the worst shooting guards, point guard or shooting guard in in the league, especially amongst the starters. And so that's an unusual position to not have shooting, right? Like if you have a five that can't really shoot or even a four on in a lot of starting lineups, it's like, okay, that's like, that's normal. You make up for that in other spots. But if you have that type of shooting deficiency as a jump shooter from the guard spot, you really have to make up for it elsewhere. And one of the reasons why I thought Monk was such a good partner was his ability to score at all three levels, get to the rim, hit that little elbow pull up, uh, you know, hit his step backs. And, and we all really loved watching Monk and, you know, him fill it up in that respect. None is a similar type of player, but he is he scores more out of organized actions. So he's really good on handoffs. That's something that Miami does a lot. And, you know, in their offensive system, a lot of stuff through BAM that year, I think Olenek was on the team. And so Nunn's ability to like come off a handoff and either shoot, pull up or go all the way to the rack. He's a phenomenal finisher around the basket, uh, despite his size, got a really great floater. Um, and so I do view him as a new acquisition. I do view him kind of like filling that spot uh, if 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 Monk is gone. Um, and so that's part of the reason why, Mike, that I'm like 6'5 and up and, and ideally closer to 6'9 is I think that that kind of fills – like he fills that spot. And the big question for me is THT. And like can we get him – I think he's probably the player that's hurt the most by Russ on the roster because – the stuff that THT does well is it bumps into things that 
that Russ does well, and Russ is a 30-plus minute player or has been up to this point. I'm actually curious if we be like, hey, if, if you need to play 28 minutes a game, and we need to get that defense out of you. And, you know, instead of carrying the full load, like I'm curious on his minutes there. But even then, Mike, like that's 20 minutes for for THT. So he's the guy that I'm kind of like, where does he fit in? And I think that we'll know more based on how the rest of the roster lands. But how do you see those two guys in particular between between none and, and THT? I think that you slotted none really well there in thinking about some of the actions that Monk runs and some of the the ways that he replaces that uh, if that is required. And then for THT, yeah, this is the, this is one of those tough parts where it's kind of like wrong player, wrong role in the or, or right player, wrong role and mm-hmm. wrong spot of his own development for what the Lakers needed last year. And how much of that has changed this year? Probably not a ton based still on Russ alongside LeBron and AD as opposed to Russ alongside, you know, two shooters or something, right? Or mm-hmm. two guys. And, and so THC has had his moments of success when he has had the ball in his hands and he's gotten a couple perimeter shots to fall, you know, and he's had like the game that he likes to play. He's yeah. him being asked to be a three and D wing, which is what they sort of need. And yet mm-hmm. what he's not, what he can't do. Yeah, that it's like it's one of those things. It's this. It's the old. It's the tried and true, you know, s- square peg, round hole type thing. Yeah, like, like it's it's just a, it's a difficult thing to envision that changing too much. Even if he's done nothing but work on his three point shooting and his defense this off season, he's still so young and he's still so he knows. What's well, not who he is, Mike? No, and he knows it's not that he's fundamental got, player. He is exactly. He knows he's got a real hard to find NBA skill. Like NBA, yeah. real NBA skill, which is breaking your guy down, getting into the middle of the paint, finishing or finding a shooter. Like that's still what so many teams want and wish they had, if not in their starting spot, at a minimum off the bench, you know, for big minutes. So that that part has been is I, I still think hard for me to square. But the one thing that I do like with THT is that he's one of those guys who defensively, if he can figure out some of the off ball stuff better, mm-hmm. he can size up because of his length mm-hmm. and because of his strength. And so you, we were talking about, I don't really want to see too many acquisitions that are below like six, five, six, six. Right. But he's that, he's that kind of guy where he's not six, five or six, six, but he can play bigger because of that. So. Yeah. Between his length and his size. Ab- absolutely. And he can use that size. One of the things I like about him, I like him as a defensive prospect uh, more than anything at this point is that he can guard on the ball at that size. And so there's a certain, oppressiveness to that weight and that length um he had some good possessions on bi there when he guards up guys can go over the top of him a bit but he can win that ground game and he can win some physical battles in ways that if i'm curious to what degree darvin and maybe you have insight on this after talking to him how much does he try to replicate milwaukee's just like we're so big at every like drew holiday right that similar he drew holiday is kind of the 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 pinnacle of that type of on ball defender really physical yeah marcus smart those types of guys like tht is built physically in a similar way and can pressure the ball but do so with size and so i would love if if tht is here this upcoming season 
offensively, he's a guard. Like he's an on-ball guard that we asked to be an off-ball wing at the age of 20, 21 years old and expected that to work. Like, of course that didn't work. I just like, I would love to get him back to being that on-ball guard, but even a guy like Kendrick Nunn takes some of those touches along with Russ, along with LeBron, along with AD who gets way more touches than big. So it's just, it's such a tough spot for THT that honestly going into the off season, I, I wonder if he is somebody that we would look to move into a different circumstance or like as a trade ship that because he still has his fans and believers around the league that but i just projecting it ahead mike it's going to be tough for him to to find the touches necessary to to be that well it just goes back to last year and the replication on the roster and all of those guys all of those the shot creator types that don't specialize in the skills that you need around your main two shot creators, which which I am including Anthony Davis in this. We don't think of him as a pure shot mm-hmm. creator, like he's a point guard with the ball, but he's still the guy that you you can just give the basketball to and the other team has to pay attention to it and something's going to happen and, and you'd probably rather have that action than you know Kendrick Nunn or THT or Russ or uh, Monk, any of these guys with the ball in their hands uh, on the perimeter. So yeah, man, that question has not yet been answered and this is why once the free agency decisions start coming in, then we have to have more of those conversations and more of those thoughts because there's going to be at least somebody else that comes in that is better with the basketball than not. And then where does that put THT, right? Where does that? So it's a, I I don't have a great answer for it right now, uh, other than I really hope that he's making some gains defensively and with his shooting because those are ways that he can get on the court more. Like if he can make another leap there. No, very much so. But that's something that on this team, like that's that's where the availability is. And so uh, that would be great for his game. But it's very difficult to ask a player of his ilk, right? He's an on-ball player. He's used to even his jump shot. Like he's got a nice little step back, but he's somebody that needs the ball. He needs to feel the ball. You know how like when, uh, whenever Melo gets into the game, he gets it. Then he does that little thing where he wraps his arms around it. That's an offensive player, like getting used to this is how the ball feels. And so when you're a three and D guy, Mike, you're might, you might not touch the ball for two, three minutes. And that's just really unusual for a player that comes from Taylor's background of having the ball on every play for, uh, or, 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 or most of them for much of his life. And so it's just a, a big transition for a guy like that, that I'm very curious to see what happens with, with Taylor. And Mike, before we wrap up, I actually wanted to get my thought, uh, give some of my thoughts on the big man, position that you guys were talking about yesterday. But before we do that, Darvin Ham uh, in your piece had some insight on that position. Yeah, so exactly. I did want to get your thoughts on this. So I asked him more, just what's the elevator pitch for the four out one in style? And he says, well, it's it's all about being able to flatten the defense. And you start with the with two guys sprinting to the corners. And then there's another guy looking to be an immediate threat on the rim. So you're just if you're thinking about the defense in a straight line, if you've got two guys running past it and then you've got another guy looking to go straight to the rim, then basically that has to be paid attention to. And that leaves that space for a LeBron or a rust style player or any of the ball handlers that we just talked about um, to be able to go down and get an easy look. And if you're overloaded on like the strong side, he said you have a strong corner an attack man, a string man and a trail and then a slasher and a weak side corner guy. So that's going to open up the driving lane. And then if the team can't other in other news, like the team or other words, the team can't cover the elbow and the nail and you just can't create that wall. 
And I'm wondering how you think that plays in with the big men, with what Anthony Davis is, with what type of big men that you need next to that, and what what Milwaukee did, for example, which was a little different with Brooke Lopez and Bobby Portis. So I'd, I'd love all your thoughts on that. Yeah. So the concepts that Ham is talking about there, a lot of them are transition concepts, right? Like that sprint deep corner or rim runner. The idea of flattening out the defense is related to those three spots in particular, because all of them at the end of their at the of the rim run or at the end of their possession are settling at rim depth. Right. Like if you drew a parallel line from one sideline to sideline, the two guys in the corner are at rim depth. And then your dunker spot guy is either at rim depth or actually even behind the basket. We saw the decals on the floor yesterday that right that were the visual aids for the the four out style, the maintenance of spacing. Again, the four out spacing is not a, a rare thing in the NBA, but it's more about getting to your spots. And if you cut through from a perimeter spot, you flow through back out to the perimeter to maintain those driving lanes. He had that quote in, in what you were saying, as well as that, like, that's the biggest thing is four out spacing is more conducive to driving to the basket off of the dribble dribble than five out spacing is because you have a natural double gap or close to it between the slot positions, which is up top, and then the corners, right? There's space between those spots. And so the defenders are a little further away. And when he's talking about the nail, he's talking about like help defenders and that if you space it properly, you uh, you create a certain pick your poison scenario that when you have a great driver can really facilitate that. With respect to the big man position, this means you need to be able to have somebody that can rim run in the first place. And so that idea of being able to rim run and then or flow into early offense concepts. So like a lot of pistol actions, a lot of delays, a lot of quick hitters, seven seconds or less type of stuff that all kind of flows together from one concept to the next. And so it's I think we're going to see a lot more ball screens this year i think we're going to see fewer post-ups fewer like throw the ball to the elbow type of things but that second big man it's tough mike because that guy that can be that rim runner if he's also a stretch big he's probably probably doesn't weigh a ton does this make sense what i'm saying like so think mark gasol right like mark is that stretch five that is big and beefy and can you know bang with those other fives that you know, you get AD off of the ball, but Mark's not going to rim run for you. And if a guy can rim run for you, fly up and down the court, is he going to be able to bang with Jonas Valanciunas, right? So you're asking for a lot out of one player. And there are a couple of guys that kind of fit that. But to me, the five spot and how we approach it is the pivot point for this offseason. And like the concept of the team is really like, who do we get to start at the five? And maybe it's Anthony Davis again. I don't know. But I'm really I think that that's really the key acquisition in terms of the style of play we're going to play. Yeah, I I already mentioned I, I don't I'd prefer that that's probably not Anthony Davis. Uh, but I don't Likewise. see, you know, I don't see a ton of great options that fit all, even a couple of those things that we're looking for. So which fits into the rest of this, right? This is just a, there isn't some wealth of assets of guys that, that can come out there. But hey, I I, uh, I don't know for a fact that there won't be some that, that, that emerge sure. here. So there's the, it's just this, it's the same difference between the wish list and the reality list. And I think that we've covered the difficulties of why that is. 
I wish we could talk specific names in context of this, right? Because there are a couple of guys where I'm like, I think that guy would be helpful. And if we don't go the stretch five route, I think that guy needs to come off of the bench. It just goes into that whole like Russ plus two bigs. You just don't have enough shooting on the floor if that's a lob threat guy. Um, And so that's another way of going about it. If we do decide that there isn't that stretch five that we like to start alongside the two, I think that AD probably has to start at the five at that point. But um the next time we talk, we will be able to talk specific names and a lot of the moves will have been made. Most of the transactions will have been settled. Um, but yeah, we're going to be off for the next week. So uh, go Lakers. Good luck to, to the decision makers. Uh, I hope we get the guys that, that we're looking for and then we come back on the other side of this looking at a, at a new team that we're excited about, Mike. Enjoy the break and uh, we will have a lot to talk about next time we're on. That's right. That's right. All right. We'll see you all on the other side. But until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's good. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. Van next to the winner. It's on the way. Good. Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. A lot of Laker fans well, sticking around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, one, one listen. Bryant. Unbelievable. For the victory. It's over. Shot clock now to five. Bryant. Yeah. And that was a little tough to Albert Gentry. That insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic. Trying to disrupt Rondo, he puts it in. Here's Davis, 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.